So tonight, we're wrapping up this series on the book of Acts. We've worked through just kind of at a 30,000-foot level the book of Acts and how the gospel spread out from Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came on the apostles and went out and out to more of the world. And for tonight, we're going to read just the last two verses of the book of Acts. This is God's word for us tonight from Acts chapter 28. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word for us gathered together this evening. So we're going to have for the sermon tonight two points about what's in the text And then we're going to wrap up with a question about what's not in the text for tonight. And our first point is this. Paul's proclamation proceeds even in prison. And I'll get that again just so you can follow how nicely alliterative that is. Paul's proclamation proceeds even in prison. There's this saying, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. And when I hear that saying, I always picture someone leaning forward and grabbing something out of the mouth of a lion or tiger or some big wild cat. When it looks like all hope is lost, but then somehow, some way, someone leans in and grabs victory out of a hopeless situation. Well, in this text, Paul is snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat. He's been in prison for several chapters here in Acts because he's been accused by enemies of the gospel, people from the Jewish tradition who who were opposed to Paul, who were opposed to Christ, who were opposed to the spread of the church, and they've managed to get Paul imprisoned. And Paul has appealed to Caesar, and he's been shipped off to Rome. So in this text, he's in Rome for two whole years. And we're not quite sure of the details of this arrangement. The, the Greek text there is a little, little bit unclear, but basically he's under some sort, of, some sort of arrest. He's probably under house arrest. He's in custody. He's under guard. He does have freedom to receive visitors, but, but it's certainly not an ideal situation. He's in custody, but he still has to provide for himself. He can't just go where he wants to go. And, and he's an apostle, He's been commissioned to go out to the nations of the world and preach the gospel, and and instead he has to sit at home. And Paul could have given up and admitted defeat at this point, but instead he seizes on the opportunity. He's in a difficult situation, but he keeps on finding ways to proclaim the gospel. In that rented house, he welcomes everybody who comes and he keeps on proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the text tells us he does all this with boldness and without hindrance. Paul gets right on with proclaiming the gospel. And from a certain perspective, he's already, he's already under house arrest. What are they going to do to him? Put him more under house arrest? He keeps right on going with his apostolic calling, even in the midst of really difficult circumstances. Now, what do we do when we face difficult circumstances in our Christian lives? We're not Paul, we're not one of the apostles, but, but we certainly face obstacles to living for Jesus and witnessing to the gospel. Many of our workplaces frown on religious conversations, let alone outright witness. 
Sometimes our workplaces require, or, or if they don't quite actually require it, there's a very strong subtext that really you should do your work in a way that, well, to be honest with you, does not fit with the way of Christ. And often when we as individuals or as a church try to live out the way of Christ and help people, we get rejected or we get taken advantage of. And even if we just think of our lives as believers, they are often full of trouble and suffering and sickness. And when we face those hard times, do we tune out of the faith? Do we shut down? Do we back off of God and and just kind of say, well, I don't know what's going on here, but clearly, clearly God is not doing what I want him to do. When hard time comes... When hard times come, do we turn against the Lord or do we turn to Him and keep being witnesses to the gospel and how we live and how we speak? Now, I don't know what that looks like for each one of us in this coming week, but if we belong to Jesus, if we believe in the gospel, then we have a calling like Paul, even when things get really hard, to keep on living out the gospel. Like Paul, we have a calling, even when faced with defeat, to to lean forward and snatch victory out of its jaws. But let's be honest about this. Often we do feel like the jaws of defeat are closing in around us. And we might feel like, and and often we hear sermons and we hear Christians talk as if we should be experiencing victory. But we don't. And even talking about Paul, like how I've been talking about him so far, can, can make us feel pretty small. And can make us feel like, wow, Paul is this really great guy up in some spiritual stratosphere that, that I could never reach. I could never do that. I, I, I could never do that. Even when we're told that in Christ we have the victory, we, we go out in the next week, we often don't feel like it. And so the key to understanding, by God's grace, the key to understanding these couple verses and really the whole story of the Scriptures is not to look to our own perseverance but instead is to look to how God provides. On the surface level, this text is about Paul persevering. It's about his work and his proclamation. But there's a whole subtext, a whole deeper level here where this text is about God's providential provision. So for our second text tonight, another nicely alliterative one. Go ahead, put it on the screen, our second point for tonight. The Lord providentially provides for Paul to preach. The Lord providentially provides for Paul to preach. The Lord's hand is always present. Sometimes it's hidden, but the Lord is always at work. So let's think about these last couple verses of Acts in light of the whole story of the book of Acts. And the book of Acts begins in Jerusalem, and and the Holy Spirit comes down on the apostles, and they're told that they're supposed to, to go out and proclaim the gospel to all the nations. And This story begins in Jerusalem and then goes to Judea and Samaria and goes out and out more and more to the ends of the earth. 
And in these last few chapters of Acts, it might seem like the story is being derailed. Paul is in captivity. Instead of going from city to city in triumphant procession with everybody coming in and believing the gospel and the church growing without opposition and all kinds of wonderful things happening, well, all too often, Paul and other church leaders are persecuted, they're prosecuted, they're put in prison. Things, from a certain angle, look pretty bad. But now let's think about what's actually happening here. If you were here last week, and even if you weren't, last week we talked about how Paul was in prison, but the governor, the person who had him in custody, called him in front of him to to give a defense so that when he shipped Paul off to Rome, he could send Paul with information about the charges and and what should be done. And so Paul stood in front of of really high-level Roman government officials, and in his defense of himself, he quickly went on the offensive and declared the gospel of Jesus Christ to two high-ranking Roman officials and their families who were with them and their entourages and their servants and the soldiers who were there to guard them and to guard Paul. In that story, even though Paul is standing there in chains, he has access to government officials who he could probably never have gotten an audience with if he was not imprisoned. And then Paul gets shipped off to Rome, and he has all kinds, of, all kinds of terrible things happen to him on the way, but every single terrible thing that happens to him becomes an occasion for the preaching of the gospel. The Lord uses even these less-than-ideal circumstances to put Paul in position time after time after time to declare that Jesus Christ has died and Jesus Christ has risen, and you who have gathered here today should turn to him. Paul goes all the way across the Mediterranean, basically at Roman expense. The Lord God employs Caesar to get Paul into places where he can preach. And then in these last verses of the book of Acts, Paul's under house arrest, yes, but he's under house arrest in Rome. He has been taken to the very heart of the most powerful empire in the world, and he's able to sit there for two years and proclaim the gospel to anybody who wants to hear it. He's free to receive anybody who wants to come to him. And I said earlier, you know, what were they going to do? Put Paul more under house arrest? But if you think about this for a minute, Paul in Rome is in the custody of Caesar, which means he's under Caesar's protection, because if you're going to go to trial before Caesar... Caesar has you as a prisoner, and that means, that means nobody can mess with Paul. Because you mess with someone who is in Caesar's custody, you are messing with Caesar himself, and that is not okay. And so as he's witnessing to the gospel in Rome for those two years, Paul has the most highly trained soldiers in the world there guarding him and keeping him safe. Then sure, someone could go to Rome and add accusations to the list against Paul. But again, what are they going to do? Put him more under house arrest until he sees Caesar? The Lord arranged for Paul to be in Rome for two years, completely safe for a time, and completely able, with some restrictions, but able to proclaim the gospel. If you read through the last section of the book of Acts, Paul experiences more than his share of trouble, 
But the Lord is at work through every single circumstance so that the gospel can be carried forward. And here in Acts and the scriptures in our own story of faith up to today, the real question is not how do we persevere? The real question is how is God providentially working to provide for us? And the Lord is always somehow working. He's working for the building up of his kingdom. He's working for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be spread. Now, sometimes we have to step back from our current circumstances, and we might have to look back over the course of our lives, or, or we might have to really adjust our vision to see how God can be at work even in this. And sometimes in this life, we don't get to see how God is at work in this. But often we are blessed to see over the years as individuals, as a church, as God's people, to see how in ways we did not expect, could not have predicted, and would not have planned for, that God is providentially working for the gospel to spread. And so it's good for us to ask not just how can we persevere, but how is God at work providentially providing for us? Those are the two main thrusts of our text. We're we're called to persevere, and underneath that, there's this symphony that God providentially provides for us. Persevere because God provides. So those are the two points I said we'd talk about from the text. And for our last point tonight, we're going to have this question about what's not in the text. So let's, let's look at our third point. Why does the book of Acts end like this? Why does the book of Acts end like this? An engineering professor once was grading exams, and he'd given his students a really, really tough test. He gave them a difficult engineering situation. They had to identify all the problems and work out some kind of solution, all within a certain amount of time. And as he was working through these exams, he came to one particular student's exam, and he begins to look over it, and he sees the students on the right track, they recognize the issues, they've got the competencies, they're doing really well, and as he goes through it, he comes to a particular page where the student has diagrammed the mechanism that is going to solve this problem. And it's incredibly detailed, and the professor starts to work through it bit by bit, and okay, he's got this right, I wonder how he's going to pull these things together, and and it's obvious this student spent a huge amount of his test time on this diagram. And as the professor works his way across the paper in the diagram, he gets to the edge, and he realized that the student got his scale wrong. And where the solution to the problem should be is off the edge of the page. The student built and built and built and built and built to get to the point where he could lay out this last little bit that would fix the whole thing, and then he ran out of space. And at that point, this particular student, tired, frustrated, and almost out of time, gave up and wrote, and that just about sums up the way life is right now. The end. Well, when we read the book of Acts, it almost feels like Luke has built up and built up and built up and And then he just stops. He's got this wonderful opportunity, and and we don't know for sure what happened to Paul right after the book of Acts ends. He may have been set free for a while and then re-imprisoned and executed, or this may have been an imprisonment that ended in his execution. We're not 100% sure. 
But either way, Luke could have said, look, Paul got set free, God worked, he went out, he proclaimed the gospel, hooray. Or he could have said, Paul died for Christ, and look, the gospel has continued to spread. Luke, Luke seems like he had any number of endings he could have gone for, but instead of, instead of snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat, it almost seems like Luke reads forward into his narrative, and he plucks defeat out of the jaws of victory, and he just stops. Now, people over the centuries have wrestled with why Luke stops here, and they've come up with some really, really rather foolish answers. Some people have said, well, uh, we must have lost the ending of the book. Some commentators have said, basically, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is a lame writer. He, he just quit. Other people think maybe Luke was actually writing a legal defense for Paul, that he was going to be able to go to seizure with this at his trial and say, look, this is what I'm up to. But none of those explanations are quite entirely satisfying. Now, I don't, have, I don't have a perfect answer that resolves this question, but, but in good company, I have a suggestion for why Acts ends like this. So let me give you this suggestion. Luke ends here with Paul in Rome, sitting in prison, witnessing to the gospel, because Luke is really not all that interested in Paul's story. Luke is really not all that interested in Paul's story. He's not telling the story of Paul. And he's not telling Peter's story or Barnabas' story or Philip's story or Stephen's or any of the early church leaders. The point is not Paul. The point is Jesus. And the point is not that we see what these people have done or we be able to trace out their whole life story. The point is that we see how God is at work to build up his kingdom and to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what the book of Acts is all about. God's great plan is being fulfilled. The gospel is going out to the nations. More and more people are being brought into Jesus Christ. The church is growing. And that's the real message of the book of Acts. Look to the coming kingdom of God. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is not that Paul continued to proclaim. The point is what Paul proclaimed. And what he proclaimed is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we build on that, then then Luke maybe ends a little bit abruptly instead of with a great big climax because, because the story isn't over. Because we are invited to step into this story. We are still in this story where Jesus is the hero. We are still in this story where the gospel built, where the church built on the gospel of Jesus Christ is going and growing. Our lives are a testimony to the book of Acts, to the work of the Holy Spirit, to the church continuing to matter, continuing to have an impact up to today. As the book of Acts ends, it wants us to look to Jesus, and then it wants us to continue the story. You can imagine Luke finishing up the book and then turning to us and saying, and what will you do next? Based on the work of Jesus, centered on gospel proclamation, where will this go next? 
Where will the gospel go next around the world? How will the church grow next? How will you, as a believer, be part of the kingdom of God? And so as we, as we wrap up this series, in the week ahead, I encourage you to reflect on how your life, on how your life can can build the kingdom of God, can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, and even more than that, how in your life has God already been at work? How is God providentially, how has he providentially, how will he faithfully continue to provide for you? The Lord Jesus saves us. The Lord Jesus brings God's kingdom. How can we be his witnesses? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the scriptures. And we thank you for the good news that they bring us of Jesus Christ. And for the good news that they bring us of your kingdom that is in so many ways already here and also in so many ways still coming. And Father, we thank you for the examples we have in the scriptures of of people faithfully following you and and on a deeper level of how you have enabled them to faithfully follow you. Father, we give you thanks as a church for those who have gone before us, for the people who raised us in the faith or helped to bring us to the faith. And Father, we pray that you help us to be part in in that long line, that unending chain of people who have been your witnesses who have prayed to you, who have worked for you, who have proclaimed you. Father, it's a privilege we don't deserve. It's a burden that we can't carry. And yet in your grace, you give us the opportunity and the strength to be your people. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, you continue to dwell in us and that you work in us to make us more and more your empowered witnessing people in this world. Amen.